Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I'm your host, Stephen Buja, and joining me, as always, the one and only Matthew Marchetti and Amy Thomason. Folks, how are you doing this evening? Just, just great. <laughs> no <laughs> irony or cynicism in my voice whatsoever. You Everything's can, great. You should see his face. He's just, it's it's a totally a not for smile. It's, it's I don't know. It's, you know, Amy, you. <laughs> it's been a rough week. Yeah. It's often like playing chess with death. Mm-hmm. Ah, I see what you did there. Did you see I set it up? It's because we're doing a Bergman Bergman movie. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully talking about our film today, Fanny and Alexander, the mm-hmm. 1983 best foreign language film, originally released in 1982, written and directed by Ingmar Bergman, will help us all feel a little better because nothing says I want to feel better about things than Swedish esoterics, Swedish esotericness, esoteric, whatever. Anyway, Bergman movies. That's what it is. <laughs> Starring, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Bertil Guv, Pernilla Alwyn, Gunvolgren, and Jarl Kuhle, among many others. Uh, it was, it is, in fact, Bergman's last theatrical movie. He would go on to direct about a dozen or so TV films after this, but this was the last time we saw him in the theater. So, um, Fanny and Alexander, have either of you seen any version of this movie in the past? Yes. Okay. I watched it. I watched it in the springtime. If you had a subscription to Hulu that used to have access to all the Criterion films, which was awesome, and I don't think you can do that anymore. I don't think so. But I would watch. I watched the one, um, the multiple episode series of it. Okay. All right, like the five-hour-ish version or something? Yes, because it was in manageable chunks. Like, it was already put into episodes, so you could easily commit an hour a day. Okay. It's a good way to, it's a good way to watch this. Um, for those of you who don't know, there is the theatrical version, which is three hours and like 15 minutes, and there's the long, uncut version, which is five and change. It is actually uh, on the list of one of the longest movies of all time. Uh, you know, certainly the longest, like, coherent film. There are, like, hundred-day-long movies that are weird, weirdly experimental, but this is among my longest. Matt, your experience with Fanny and Alexander? Uh, I saw this movie in a period of time at some point. I don't recall <laughs> when. I, I honestly think it was the, when we talked about... Um, the Virgin Spring, and I think I, I told a little anecdote about um, a sweet mate of mine getting a Bergman box set. Um, I believe it was on there, and we went like over like a week and watched them all. And then like nobody was friends with us. <laughs> and did you even leave the house after that? I mean, that's a nothing has changed. Nothing, has changed. <laughs> nothing has changed. Yeah, Weird. Okay. I started drinking after that though, and I don't know when that. I feel like there's a something there but i'm not quite sure <laughs> i know i watched it at some point in college but i just i think it was then i feel like it was either that or there was no other time i would have watched because it. <laughs> it was like it was like six bergman films over like six days and that was just that's yeah. that is that is why would you do that to your soul yeah. that's that's a, that's a college yeah. thing to do right there you're yeah, yeah. Um, you're so edgy <laughs> so edgy 
all of our teachers would be very proud of you for yeah. for doing that. Just yeah, just just top notch work right there. Thank you. Uh, my story is not that exciting. I've never seen this movie before. I've heard about it, taught, whispered about. I believe it's on all of the sight and sound polls of the best movies of all time. Whenever it comes out, at some very some slightly lower, but still, we're talking hundred hundred of the greatest movies of all time. This is routinely on it. So uh, I need to say I was very curious about it. It was one of the most nominated foreign language films. Uh, remains that. And also one of the most winningest foreign, foreign language films. It picked up six nominations at the 1983 Academy Awards, the 56th on April 9th, 1984. The ultimate winner was, of course, Terms of Endearment. But this also grabbed a couple of wins. What were they? Besides best it. foreign language film. Amy, okay. Best cinematography. Yes, for a long time collaborator Sven Nykust. I definitely 100% do not have the names of these people. Oh, that's fine. Because I'm sure I will offend and butcher the names. Best art direction, set direction, which you cannot argue with that at all. Best costume design and best foreign language film for Sweden. And I didn't know until maybe a year ago that the producers or whoever aren't the ones who claim the award. They really just give it to the country, which seems extremely unfair. It's uh, it's been the it's been the common practice. Every film gets every country gets one entry into the Academy Awards, so it's kind of a big deal. And I think uh, having only really ever seen them in America, I think mm-hmm. it it does seem like it's a big deal for the country. For when uh, when Iran won uh, just a few years back, that I know they they were very excited about it. It's you know. Brought uh, brought attention to their cinema scene and uh, you know allowed more work to be to be commissioned. So like yes, it, it's a it's it's a strange it's a strange rule, but it's one I actually kind of enjoy. Uh, all That's all things. Told, I never all thought things. about it like that. Oh, yeah. uh, Matt and it was nominated for two others. What were they? They were best director for Ingmar Bergman, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, best writing screenplay written directly for the screen, also for Ingmar Bergman. Yes. That's a, that's a it joke. It's surprising <laughs> that he lost those, by the way. Yeah. To James L. Brooks, and I love James L. Brooks movies. They're cute. They're fun. Often very well written. I love As Good As It Gets. That's my favorite of his movies. I think it's yeah. a great movie. Great screenplay. And a great screenplay. It really is. And you can watch the movie a hundred times. But the fact that Ingmar Bergman, especially since it was known that this was his last huzzah when he made it, is it's like Peter O'Toole not winning for the Lion in Winter or any of his films. It's just a crime. Yes, him not winning Best Director, considering the amount of the scope of what he was trying to do here in Fanny and Alexander, and uh, what you know, I'm not the biggest terms of endearment fan, but I will cop to. It is a very well directed movie. Uh, it it is it is a toss up. Yeah, but between those two, it's they're. Mm. They're very, they're very solidly well-directed films. Uh, it, I guess it really depends on what you're going for. In terms of endearment, is a very, you know, Shirley MacLaine is great and that she had never won before. And she had a long, great career mm-hmm. beginning with, you know, The Apartment, which you both hated. Just had to throw it in there. <laughs> but, but she had a really long career. So, you know, she was due. But this is just on a whole nother level. 
but a lot of the times the people who are due most do not win. And I think it's at some point it becomes a badge of honor. It's like, yeah, Hitchcock never won, and that beca- gets to become his like one of his things. Mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'd have to ask, no, it's, we'd have to ask them about Harry that, but they're different. never won. Rosalind Russell. Man, you're just pulling, you're just pulling like deep cuts right there. Bam. Because this is what I think about in my spare time. I think about people who have been wronged by the Academy Awards. Do, do you know the amount of math I never learned because I know the stuff in my head? Yeah, I just I don't think, have room for other things. There was also some competition that year from a couple of other countries. What were they? And have you ever heard of them? Go. Someone. No to the second question. <laughs> Andre knew the revolt of Job. Carmen and Le Ball, none of which I have ever heard of. They all sound amazing. <laughs> Carmen has an amazing poster. Just look at it right now. It's, it's, just go look at it. It's beautiful. I just, I just, just want to note, Steve, that our theory about ninety percent of um, foreign language uh, nominees being about World War II was fifty percent accurate with these other four films. <laughs> Two of them are, are World War II set films about Nazis. And I'm like, uh, come on. <laughs> I know it's a big deal, but come on. Uh, was it uh, Hungary and the French film? It was, yeah. Yes. It, it wasn't Carmen and Lay Ball. Lay <laughs> <laughs> Ball. Uh, we are, we are, we are children here, most most definitely. It's uh, yeah. it's it's kind of funny, I think. It's it's, it's funny. Uh, so that is the Academy Awards for Best Foreign Language Films. Uh, Feel free to write us in, and if you have seen any of these other films, tell us about them. Always curious about it. I find the time be- being what it is, don't have a lot of time to see the nominees, despite the desire to. So if you have, if you've seen Lay Ball, for instance, <laughs> if it is available somewhere, tell us about it. We'd love to. We'd love to hear from you. So moving on, what is the IMDb synopsis? Of this film, Matt Marchetti. Still laughing at LeBall. Um, the IMDb <laughs> synopsis is like exactly what I expected it to be. Super, super simplified for a movie that spans a long period of time and is, is very long and has a lot of different characters. So it says, two young Swedish children experience the many comedies and tragedies of their family, the Ekdals. Wow. That, I mean, it's it, not wrong. It's not wrong, but it feels... Like it's kind of missing the point. Although to simplify a Bergman film yeah. in its synopsis, I, kudos to them for sort of getting it. But you're really missing so very much that happens in this in this movie. So uh, where to begin? Those at the beginning, uh, guys. I think I should have watched the longer version of this film. Generally, we go for the theatrical version, with the exception of Lord of the Rings, because, well, I love it, and who who actually watches the theatrical version of Return of the King anymore? Uh, I gotta say, I think the longer version, Amy, maybe you can back this up, would have made a little more sense in terms of the narrative and the characters. Yes, no? It totally does. And about that synopsis, I mean, my mom yesterday was, oh, so what movie are you doing this week on your podcast? And, oh, what's that about? I'm like, well, it's a family movie, and there's Christmas, and there's ghosts. 
like Hamlet. And it's about religion and life and death and imagination. And I, I said, I really cannot summarize this movie. That. But um, the five-hour version really does get more in-depth with the characters. And it helps explain things that happen later in the movie. Um, the little boy, um, Alexander, who, by the way, what is was very distracting for me almost, is this child is a doppelganger of a student that I taught my first year teaching <laughs> in Indiana. His name is Nick Perry. I taught this kid. This is my 13th year teaching. I taught him when he was in seventh grade. And years later, when he was 20, like he found me on Facebook and, hey, remember me? And I was like, oh, my gosh. And he he was a little movie buff. He loved um, Steve McQueen. So I thought, hey, awesome. Here's a kid from Indiana who thinks Steve McQueen is cool. Exactly, exactly like him. So the whole time I was like, oh, it's Nick. Yeah. Which is distracting. I don't know if this ever happened to you before, but it was. It was weird. <clears throat> and it's oh Nick, and Nick's going through some shit right now. Exactly. <laughs> and so you see Alexander tell all these stories, and at the beginning, there's a scene where the father comes in to the children on Christmas Eve, and he tells them this huge long story, and it's really imaginative. And I'm sure lots of people, had they left it in the theatrical cut would have been like why is this in here why do we care about the story that the dad's telling but it sets it up that he comes from a family of storytellers it's such a part of who he is that okay. later when that's taken away from him oh okay see starting to make more sense sometimes you, you know it's not what you it's not what you cut out it's what you leave in that can make or break a film um so the film is called fanny and alexander First things first, we meet Alexander. Very first scene, cool. Uh, very engaging. He's in this beautiful house all alone. He is right on the verge of puberty. His imagination is fired up. He's like, there's that very Bergman thing. Like I was looking, I'm like, wait, is that statue? Oh, it moved. Yeah, like, okay. I didn't like it at all. That was scary. <laughs> that was that was a little freaky. You're like, uh, what's? Like, and it's so subtle though, which is, is why. It's so effective. Yeah, it's but the, but the point is, and though, so he calls, he, you know, he calls up for all, all the members of his family. He calls for Fanny. I go, oh yeah, yeah. Where, where's Fanny? Where is Fanny? Now, correct me if anyone saw the theatrical cut. Fanny, titular character, does not show up for in, and is identified as Fanny because there are almost twenty main twenty characters that we follow is not identified for about an hour into the movie, uh, which I have to say, now maybe it's just the expectations I have. When I hear a movie, it's called like Fanny and Alexander, and it's about these two kids, I go, oh, okay, we're going to follow two kids, we're going to see things through their eyes, their reactions, and how they deal with stuff. Cool. Two-thirds of this movie is that. The back two-thirds, the first two-thirds, it is not so much telling a story, it is weaving a very interesting tapestry but it's more swimming in a sea of narrative potential. We have this, we have, we have this, this brother, this brother. Uh, we have the, the grandmother. We have uh, weird Jewish uncle Isaac over there. And they have a thing. You go, what, what is happening here? Did anyone else feel disoriented in this I, movie? I mean, yeah, I think you, you sort of go in and there's just a lot of information, but um, I sort of found myself like comforted by the dysfunctionality of everything that was going on and these 
once there was a moment where um, it's towards the end of the party in the opening um, where that you can tell like he's sort of creating vignettes with pairings of characters. And I'm like, okay, he's going to move to another two characters, then to another two characters, and then to another two characters. And I was like, all right, I'm real, now I'm starting to like this because it just felt like you're watching something that um, was like, is like a personal moment. Like the the grandmother, is it Helena, Helena, something like that? Yeah, um, yeah something like that. She's like the best character for me. Oh, I love great. her so much. Everything she says is just like magical. There's that, There's a scene later on where she's talking about the sort of roles we play. Um, and it's like, the best version of that like cliche Shakespeare thing like that I've ever heard. It's, it's like better than Shakespeare to be honest, <laughs> yeah. which is again a, a comment about the the sort of writing, not getting the, the credit it was due, I think. Um, but I really liked that. And maybe it's because I, because I come from a dysfunctional family. Um, I was sort of used to it. It was sort of comforting to me. Now the, there were elements of it that were not comforting sort <laughs> yeah. of like the, uh, like all men can just sleep with as many women as they want and wives are just kind of like, that's fine. And they, and like, we it's not, like, that. They're, like, they're a little like irked by it, but they're sort of just like, we can do this. And it, it was just sort of weird. So the cultural part was there, but I actually found myself not disoriented at all. I found myself really like warmed to a lot of the characters and their sort of vulnerability we see, like in pretty much everybody, whether or not we like what we see after they're vulnerable is, is up to, to up to each of us. But I like the fact that they were like completely these like just revealed people um, very early on. And we learn more about them as they go. But I don't know. There was something really comforting about it. The, the thing about, I really oh. liked. I'm sorry. I really loved all of the family. Yeah. I really did. And I mm. it was comforting. And I felt it really did a great job of drawing you in. Mm. They were these rich, full-blooded characters the dialogue is just amazing that's really good yeah and i felt i think i felt differently i felt almost like not that they were dysfunctional that they were this happy family that they all had these flaws and they were just like hey that's just how we are and they were kind of happy with it because even the grandmother and it's not really just the men but when the grandmother and isaac were talking she's like Oh, remember when we were making love on the couch and my husband walked in? Yeah, was killed. And the husband came as friends. Like that. Yeah, and the husband yelled and screamed and like pitched a fit, but then, you know, oh, then you and my husband like became best friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the sons, you know, and even the father is this wonderful father, but the mother's talking about him, the grandmother's talking about him as an actor. She's like, oh, he's terrible. <laughs> yeah. But like he loves he, they're like he loves acting. He loves the theater. I love the way that they treated the actors and how the actors especially back then were considered, you know, like the scum of the earth. Mm. But they had that big dinner and brought them in and they were, you know, and yeah. I thought that was really cool. I felt like I want to be part of this family. Okay. And yeah. live in that house. That house is gorgeous. The, the house is gorgeous. And see, here's the thing. Everything that I was watching I liked it. I love, I love all the characters in this. I just, but to what end were they all there? I didn't, there, there was one scene, there was a scene between um, one of the brothers, Carlchen, and his, uh, I believe, German wife, and how that's mm -hmm. a thing. Oh, and they, and they were, well, and he I, was the only brother. Yeah, and I, and, and I was like, oh, this is a very, this is like an intriguing storyline. What's getting, like, where is this leading to? It, it, it leads nowhere. We never see, anything of significance of Carlchen or his wife again after that and that's the thing i'm everything that the patches of this quilt 
are amazing. But I just don't... I, I look at the quote and go, oh, why did... Why is this happening? Why did, why did we need to make this quilt? I understand you wanted to tell a... You know, it's a slightly autobiographical story, especially the, the, the latter parts, which make... Or which are more, I suppose, uh, you know, character and narrative-driven. But this, this first part, he's just, he's just a wash. He's just... It's, it feels almost indulgent. And if it weren't so very good, if the acting in this movie was not incredible... And I usually cannot tell a good foreign actor to save my life but even i was like this is some good this is like really good acting right here i'm 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 feeling this despite having to read everything and i, I like they are beautiful it's beautiful i didn't care because i'm like what's this is this is it gonna be three hours of this of like which is which would be fine as long as it goes somewhere but clearly this is supposed to be about this these two kids one of which we haven't even met yet and what's what's going on now eventually it does it does get down to that after the oh my god wait oscar was their dad which i didn't realize until oscar died the act the actor and then yeah. and then that's when it finally that's when we finally get to uh emily and bishop edvard who's just in terms Creepy. of he's so he's like oh my god i'm like this man i've i've one of my notes i wrote down was this man is the patriarchy. I want you to come live with my house, come live with me, marry me, do do fun stuff with me. But I don't. I want you to leave <laughs> literally everything you have and own behind and come and live with this. I'm like this. Like I just want to be like, girl, you gotta you gotta get out of there. You gotta. But, Emily, but at the beginning, I think one of the reasons there is that rich tapestry of characters is you ha- is to show that stark contrast from they go from this rich, lush, yeah. full blood, you know, sure. characters you can, to you can do this that. You creepy can get guy, that. his you can creepy get that sister, that no. weird <laughs> aunt who never gets out of bed. Oh yeah. That's all. It's also and the, and the women who are just like knitting all the time, even while terrible stuff's happening. And that's great. You don't need to do it for an hour. Like it was a great party scene, and it was the it was Christmas, so hence that's why we're doing it on this on this episode because it's Christmas theme. But mm. you could have could have tightened that up just a little bit to get to get to the real meat and potatoes, which is oh here is the Bergman film. You have this boy who is going up against the literal manifestation of God. He's God's representative on Earth. He's the bishop, and it's fucking brilliant, and I love it. It's this, but it's this first, this first chunk, this first third of the film, drag drags me down a little bit because I feel like a lot of it is unnecessary. But when it gets to Edvard and Emily, oh man, the, it it starts taking off, and then it just it just keeps going from there. I uh, I am terrified of the, uh, terrified of this man. I think what Bergman does with this is so raw and powerful there's that interrogation scene where they're both like it's like just a game of back and forth with them that's beautiful and there's more than one scene like that and i was just thinking as you were talking about the opening it's sort of similar in a way to that opening of the deer hunter where it's the wedding and they're hunting and there's all the conversations and it seems when you're watching it like maybe we could edit this down a little bit yeah, I, I, for some reason, I still, I still ever. Yeah, I, I, I do, I do remember that. I, it didn't feel quite as 
because a lot of the stuff did come did come back and we were still following all those characters through their stuff through like getting killed or getting captured or having to, having to deal with the consequences of their actions um but here uh, here it didn't here it like especially when Carlton never showed up because I, I was like I really want to know what's happening to you yeah he never comes back the other one does and yeah, the ending is beautiful yeah oh the, the ending is so lovely I was like oh beautiful beautiful but um focusing on the the middle section the kids are carted off to this terribly ascetic uh horrible existence with their stepfather in what is a very hamlet-esque um scene literally the ghost of the father yeah is worried about the the thing about alexander too the Mm -hmm. first little trial between alexander and the bishop really kills me because it reminded me a lot of my son, my son who last week when we went to see Santa Claus and the photographer was asking him like, Oh, you know, do you like to build with Legos and stuff? And he's like, yes, I'm going into space next weekend. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, isn't that cute? And then, so when I'm watching Fanny and Alexander and the mother says, did you tell your teacher that we sold you to the circus? (laughs) I'm laughing because I think, isn't that precious? That right. is the funniest thing. And and how he had told this whole elaborate story, but the difference between me where I'm like, isn't that great? He has such a great imagination. What a wonderful kid. And this guy's like, do you know what a lie is, Alexander? And how he kept touching his head. Right. Do you yes, notice that? He kept grabbing him by the back of the neck. And I was like, ew, you are super creepy. I don't like it. And don't like it, yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Bad but did, would you like to would you like to say more? Me. No, yes. I'm sorry. I, I, I just kept thinking about that, but I thought that was really powerful how he told the story and I'm laughing my head off. But meanwhile, <laughs> the you know, and he's you know, do you know what a lie is and lying is right. a sin and, and and like I think it was she said something along the lines like imagination is reserved for the artists and music the great artists and musicians and, and writers. And kind of implying that, that that is not you, or nor will it ever be you because you're a, you're a brat. But yeah, it's a it's it's a movie about imagination that there it's it kind of missing. Like I would have lo- would have loved to have seen that storytelling scene from 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 dad. Maybe you take out uh, you take out Carlchen there and you and you put that back in because because like Alexander has a very vivid imagination. So I, I I read I read a, a commentary that said like. Maybe he just maybe the entire movie is him just imagining things because he was asleep at the beginning, and so this is just this is just all his really fucked up, extremely long dream. And that's a mystery, and that's a mystery of the movie. I also think the actor was phenomenal. Uh, the, uh, that the, boy, yes, he definitely wasn't precious. He was not the kid from Oliver. He was that's a very powerful performance from a child yeah. actor. Yeah, he he was great. This was his. I think this was like his only role. He, I think he's his only film. Yeah, yeah, and he uh, he he nailed it. He, he plays uh, an angsty kid like none other. I've, you know, he's swearing. He is making up. He's making up lies and, and imaginations because that's what he does. And like he like I think like, honestly like like at that age like you can almost truly believe them. Like deep down, it's, it's but you know, and then just Ed, Edward just like smashes right through that eventually and it's it's just so heartbreaking because they they just drag it out and out and out 
Um, but there is uh, the question of the mother, uh, Emily, who's a gorgeous woman, very, uh, very, very talented <laughs> actress in her own right, both actually as a character and her, you know, in, in, you know, as the the actress herself. Do you feel that Emily loves Edvard, the bishop? It started out love. Did, did was that love real? I think she. I think she loved like the comfort he sort of mock brought to her, like because she needed it. She needed something, and um, you know, being a very religious people, um, it was sort of easier to for her to sort of slide into that. Um, I think pretty. We. I think the love thing is 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 pretty much a no in terms of actual like connection to him. It's pretty quick that she gets there that she's immediately like backlashed against the mother and the sister and him and it, she doesn't like just sit there like we're gonna take this for a long time she knows like this isn't right i mean things go on and she's unaware or she maybe isn't thinking about it or maybe she's just trying to think well this is gonna get better this is gonna get better kids we need this um but she doesn't just sit there and go like okay like this is sort of great the only scene i think she sort of relents is the scene where you were sort of alluding to and he says you have to leave everything behind your friends and all this thing and she sort of says like I would already have done that for you but right. my children I have to they they're a part of this too. So even then she's still like pushing back against it um in sort of interesting ways. So no, I don't I don't think so. I think she just sort of fell into it and um I don't know, maybe I just like her too much to say that. <laughs> no, and she def- she's very quick to defend her children. Yeah. I mean, that for and like you had said that at that first dinner scene when the aunt or whoever was, you know, yelling at uh Alexander, I always want to call him Nicholas because he reminds me of that student. <laughs> Um, and she's very quick to defend him. And I liked that she said, well, I don't know if I can do that. I have to talk to my children. Right. And she, she does relent. But when she practically beats up that servant to get the key to get the son out of the attic, that was gut wrenching to watch. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And he's just this little boy and he's really such a good I I know I'm coming back to this he's such a good actor because again he is angsty and during the funeral he's just saying those curse words over and over and over again but he really fills that cusp of childlike and angsty he wasn't this little punk teenager but he also wasn't just a little boy it was a really good like blending those two parts of your life you could see why the Lutheran would have an issue with them but he's not this horrible kid. No, no, he's not. But he's he needs to learn the ways of the world. And the ways of the world are harsh. Certainly, back in the turn of the nineteenth century, whatever this is, early early nineteen hundreds. Nineteen hundreds, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, watch it. Watching it, I what I like about Igmar Bergman is that he does let you do a lot of the heavy lifting. Like you, you know, he doesn't he doesn't go go right out and tell you. I was starting to get annoyed by that because it did because I wanted to see more of the internal struggle there with because the 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 Emily confessing her love to Emily confessing her hate very thin line there felt almost too abrupt for me like I needed one more scene of her thinking of just doing of doing of seeing of getting a sense of what she is is thinking and maybe, and maybe I'm wildly misinterpreting. It's been it's been like two weeks since I've since I've seen the movie. Uh, did you guys feel that the 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 switch to uh, switch to hating to confessing that I 
I hate you, Edvard, was, was too much, or am I just talking crazy? I think it was kind of subtle because even at the beginning when the grandmother watches them leave and she says, don't worry, I have a feeling we're going to have our Emily back soon, that no one thought that this was going to last. And I thought that first night when she went off on the woman for going for yelling at um, Alexander, that it was already kind of planted. Then you had the scene with the grandmother when she's like, I'm pregnant. And if I leave him, he's going to take my children. Right. I think that might and that's been. a gigantic conundrum to be in. Definitely, definitely. I, I, she wants to leave him I'm, because of the children. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm confused. No, the I, timeline. I, I, don't. I don't think you are. I think, I think maybe Bergman trusts that we're sort, of, we're sort of like the proxies for the characters, and, and we, we sort of see everything, and he doesn't need to. It would have been nice, like for her character, for an arc for her character, to have another scene where you're like, wow. You really got to make a tough choice here. Like, you got to do this. But I think we all sort of know where it's going to go, at least in the sense that it's not going to work out. And I think Bergman, like, trusts that a smart audience will sort of piece that together, like we all did. Right. Um, I think wanting to see more is just a testament to how good the performance is, how good the writing is, how good the film is, that you you want to see more and more of it. And And I think that's true of, like, the whole of the movie like to me just to go back to the yeah. the beginning in some ways the first hour for me was the most engaging now a caveat for from me i am like a um paul thomas anderson robert altman obsessy so i love everything they do and they're very good at just throwing you into worlds and you have to sort of figure it out and those moments where you're like, uh, maybe these characters are important maybe they're unimportant and i like them because they feel like life like I have a sort of large family and I'm more connected with certain uncles and aunts than I am with other ones. That's just how it sort of goes. So like maybe the the sort of Carl Chien scenes, which don't really go anywhere, are because like he's not important. He's still a part of the family, but maybe he's not as important to to Fanny, to Alexander, to other people. But we still have to sort of see them because they're still a part of this whole story. Whereas uh, I think it's um is it Gustav? He's the yeah. he's the actor, the one who yeah, he's He's more important in a lot of ways because he sort of makes things happen, whether they're good or bad is up to your <laughs> yes. But he sort of makes things more happen. He sort of he would be the one I think I would sort of want to hang out with as a as like a nephew or a niece. Like I wouldn't want to hang out with Carl Chen so much. I mean, he goes it's this creepy stairwell farting scene that just goes on for a long. I'm like, what yeah. are you doing, man? Like this is 2017. You can't be doing this anymore. Put your pants up, sir. <laughs> but everyone has so an worried. uncle that, that does stuff like that, and that's why it's great. It kind of reminds me of the beginning of the novel War and Peace, where you're introduced to like a million Russian characters, and you're like, who am I supposed to be following? Yeah, yeah. I did, Carl Chin, I just uh, if, if I had to recast it, I'd be like, oh, he's like Russell Crowe is playing him. Yeah, amazing. It <laughs> There's no doubt totally about it. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, so. That's my take. I just I find that beginning super engaging for a lot okay. of reasons. And I think once the movie sort of becomes more linear, it's a little more straightforward. So it's easier to follow for sure. And there's sort of like there's a sort of a, a antagonist or a full on villain. And we sort of we associate more with Alexander and we get more into his character and all that. But I'm also just sort of like, I just really liked that beginning. And I'm not remember, I'm not a, a fan yeah. of Christmas, but I like I just loved watching that family interact like that hour. I was like, this the first hour of this movie is going to be this whole freaking party, isn't it? And yes, it was. It's like, <laughs> like literally until like four or five in the morning, they were just continuing to have conversations, and I was just like, 
this is so nice. Like there's, I don't, there's not a lot of movies and filmmakers who would do something like that. And I sort of love it. It felt like, it felt like reading a book, like a book that was maybe getting a little too indulgent or a little self-indulgent, but I it felt like that. It felt very novelistic in a lot of ways, which can be a turn on or a turn off for some movie viewers because a novel is one thing and a film is another. So. Yes. But the fact that he could make a three hour and 15 minute long movie and make you want more is again, a testament to Bergman. Right. right. And, 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 and you want to know that if they would, it would be a great TV series like the Ekdahl family. And mm-hmm. I, I, I would watch and again, like I, I watched this and I immediately thought I need to see more of this to better, yeah. to better understand. Cause, so. cause literally everything I was never not engaged in this movie. I was always just left with a little, it's like what you're showing me is good, but what's, what's what it's all coming out to i think is not really what maybe maybe i'm just like a bad moviegoer it just it didn't it, it didn't always flow well to me for instance one scene the getaway scene very classic scene they stole the kids away in the hope chest what the hell happened because <laughs> no, no, because, because, but that's, because but that's part of bergman it's part of the magic or it's part of Alexander's imagination. Okay, yeah, because because it was definitely weird. Because I'm like, wait, they're are they they're lying on the floor? What what am I? Lo-? I was very confused. But and then and then and that was fine. I'm like, oh, well, they obviously got away. But what the fuck just did I just watch? Is this yeah. is this real it's life? Something that people debate. If you go online, there's debates. Okay, what is what is okay? What 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 is the debate? And so they're saying it's like this is like the imagination. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I can see that a little bit. Maybe from uh, Alexander's point of view. get into later in the movie. If, if, if Alexander and Fanny are still there, like then there's no conflict as much as maybe he wants conflict in his head. He's just like, maybe it would be easier just to stay here and, and sort of tough this out for mom. But mm-hmm. then you're like, no, it isn't. We need to get the hell out of here. This is really bad. I mean, the child abuse and all this stuff. I mean, it's awful what's going on. But maybe part of him is just like, maybe we could just stay here and, and, and we'll be fine. We'll just be joyless Swedish adults. But no, no, we're part of this family that isn't like this and we need to get away from this. So maybe it's just like this one moment of like desperation. And it's also sort of like a middle finger to people trying to figure out what the hell was going on in that moment. But I literally <laughs> just like, I think I had to take the dog out after that scene and I was running around the house just doing the Isaac, like the hands up in the air screaming <laughs> over and over and over again just because it was so entertaining. I was like, that's... But really another crazy. interesting character, Isaac. <laughs> oh, Isaac is so... Isaac is so and it's, it's great because when you think of... Honestly, when I think of Sweden, I do not think of, of Jewish people yeah. at all. Just not a one. And he is a great uh, juxtaposition to the very stern Lutheran character uh, played by you know uh, the bishop, whatever whatever denomination he is, and so I, I love watching them interact because there's yeah. this, it's there's so there's like there's so much history in just in the in the in who they are and what they represent that it's, it's just so fascinating. And like he get you know Edward gets up in his face, he's like you dirty Jew, you're trying oh, to yeah. trying to trying to cheat me, trying to steal my children because I guess that's what Jews do or whatever <laughs> and it's uh and it's it's very it's very fascinating but what i like especially is that okay they spirit the kids away literally in a chest and then they get to isaac's place and if edward's place was creepy isaac's place just takes it to the next level entirely 
I like if this is where they got the set decorating Oscar, I think, because oh man, I love that that eerie red red room that felt like something out of a David Lynch movie, and all of the marionettes. Uh, it was incre- it was incredible to watch. Just this like cavernous house ends up being in a in a in a plant. I thought it was uh, top notch right there. Mm. Um, <laughs> where uh, where so. Does what's happening in in Alexander's head now? Is this is this a real place? When that guy starts screwing with his head and like pretending to be what the voice of God, yeah. yeah. And then he's like, "Ha ha! I messed with you." I thought I would be paralyzed with fear. Yeah, <laughs> but Alexander kind of laughs it off, and I was like, "Good for him," because yeah. I seriously would have wet myself and just been. In the fetal position, shaking. Yeah. Why couldn't God be a gigantic, weirdly disproportionate marionette? Whatever. As it, it when, seemed very Ingmar Bergman thing yes. to do. <laughs> one of my Which notes. One my... of my notes was, "Oh, here's the Ingmar Bergman movie." Yep. We got to talk about God for the next thirty minutes, and boy, howdy, do we ever! I loved. Yes. I, I loved Alexander's take on God. I think he's like God's. Basically, like God's a God's a jerk or something like that. And like shit. Well, yeah, God, yeah, God's a shit. I'm like. Yeah. All right, well played, well played. Yeah. But Aaron, uh, Aaron's good. Then we get to Ishmael, who is if, who, who's like Hannibal Lecter level creepy. He, uh, it's a male character. It's played by a, uh, it's played by an actress. So there's that androgynous, androgynous I, look that, that one would that one would associate literally with the angels, like. It's a beautiful man. It's a, it's a woman. What's what's going on there? What's going on with what's going on there? And how did you feel watching it? Yeah, I thought of Goonies and that brother that they kept locked away in the Goonies. And I know that's such a stupid connection, but that's what I thought about. I'm like, do they keep him locked up in the basement? Like seriously? Yes. But that scene was hypnotizing. It was good. Yeah. I can't even describe it right now. It was just hypnotizing. Yeah. And um, do you think Ismail had powers? Like, because, you know, because we're, we're cutting between the the smiting of, of, of Edvard gets lit on fire and it's in slow motion. It's terrifying and, and awesome. And she's, and she's talking. So, wow. It was, I still can't believe that Ingmar Bergman's not one best director. Mm. For that sequence yeah, lighting alone, a, lighting a guy on fire. Um, well, having it so the hideous, freaky woman knocks the gas lamp over. I mean, it goes on, man. Right, yeah. but 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 that may have been influenced by Ismail doing because because like it's a it's you know I th- I think it's a it's a voiceover cut where you know he's saying something and then it or like he turns and then she turns. You're like. Whoa. Oh, the editing—the editing's awesome. Oh, the, edi- the editing's so brilliant, and it's so—it really does seem like a nightmare. It doesn't seem—it's seamless. It just seems like in your head, flowing back and forth like a nightmare. Yeah, and it's—it's uh, it's... yeah, the sort of the scariest character somehow has sort of the the sort of like most positive message in a way. It's not delivered in a positive fashion, but it's like. Um, anything you sort of want to believe in can be reality for you, right? And we see that in this really horrible 
saying, so you say maybe Ismail has some agency that makes this happen, but it's also Alexander because Alexander's the one who sort of has these like fantasies about the dad dying uh, or the stepdad dying. Right. So it's sort of like, well, let's kind of go ahead and do that now. And that's, I think, why that scene is cut so differently than pretty much any other scene in the film. Um, so, but there's a sort of like, this is kind of cool and has to do with the storytelling aspect that it's not just like storytelling, but even beyond storytelling, like we can sort of affect the way we see the world because of how we want to see it, right? Like, and that's, that's pretty cool. Stories are powerful. I, Our imagination, you know, like imagination literally wills everything into existence one hmm. way or another. But it, this was just the literal, my imagination is doing this. It's not just, oh, I want to write a book, so therefore I'm going to imagine this book and I'm going to do, I'm going to do the work. It's just, it just appears like out of the primordial goo of, of wherever, wherever creativity comes from, Ismail can like tap into that and unleash it upon the world. Like make it like, like a fucked up genie. Like, yeah, you want your stepfather dead? All right. Just burn his ass. And you're like, that, that's a little, ex- you could have just, you could just died in his sleep, but okay. No, but that torture of being engulfed in flames and. Yeah. A very powerful image. I just want, like I want that like that, that slow motion just as a gif, just playing on loop, just and very much how Alexander would have wanted him to die. Oh yeah, it's that's that's a, that's a violent. That's a kid who doesn't slow. quite get it. That's how you want like your enemy to die. You just want to slow. You want to see him burn and run in and know that he's lost everything. He loses his wife. He's lost his kids. Like that's how that's how you do it. And that's that is is the cruelty of a child or a sociopath, and uh, we'll, we'll just say hopefully it, or both. And it's just <laughs> well, even when when um, the mother now I can't remember her name for some reason. Emily. When Emily says um, to the bishop, you know, I hate you, and the bishop has that whole monologue about how no, I love you, and nobody loves me, and it's so such a bizarre scene i love it but you're like really this is why people don't like you because you're creepy yeah so creepy he's like i just try so hard and nobody loves me and you're like well stop touching the back of my son's head in that weird way maybe put maybe put up a patent just throw like throw a coat of paint on the walls Uh, do something give me give me give me a napkin i don't know Make it live. Make give me a little life in here. It's creepy. Your your sister and your mother, are creepy. They were just knitting while you were caning a kid. Like, oh god, why? This is there's there's so much there's so much going on here, and I, I wish I had like a scene by scene breakdown of like every little piece of like imagery that you know uh, Bergman paints with in this movie. It's 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 fantastic. We are running out of time. Uh, the film ultimately ends. Beautiful speech by Gustav. Uh, I adore that. It ends on like it's like, oh thank God we went through we went through some shit there, but everybody's back together. Gust- mm-hmm. Gustav's got his uh, he's got his uh, side piece. She had a baby. That's cool. And Emily had the baby. Everyone's happy. Back together. Yay! Right. right. But there's that twist. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. When, and this is so great, it's so great when Nicholas, Nicholas, why do I keep on <laughs> Alexander is going down, because there's a movie called Nicholas and Alexandria, that's why. Yeah. 
or Nicholas and Alexandra. I keep in my brain keeps juxtaposing those titles walking down the hallway and he gets shoved to the floor and the Bishop just leans over him and says, you will never escape me. Like, mm. Oh, shit. Like, yes. Uh, so good. Cause Hey, that's life. That's uh, you know, I, that's, yeah, that's trauma. That's shame. That's guilt. Cause you like, he's Alexander's clearly wrestling with this new idea of like guilt. Like the father, the stepfather died kind of, around the time when I wanted him to. So did my thoughts have, did my thoughts do that? Did I do that? And it's going to, it's going to plague him the rest of life. And he's been haunted by ghosts before his imagination. And that's just the taking form of that. And it's great. And you're like, Oh, I was just like, cause it was a happy, it's supposed to be a happy movie. And then it's just, they're like, no, it's a Bergman movie. It's not a happy movie. It's a movie that's going to make you think it's going to make you feel bad about thinking and you're going to like it. Mm. And, here we are. Here we are. Uh, so, um, guys, folks, what is the ultimate meaning of Fanny and Alexander? What was Ingmar Bergman, one of the greatest directors of all time, trying to say with this film? Hmm. One could write a dissertation about this. I imagine. I, I imagine so. Yes, you can take this and really any of the other. Ingmar Bergman films, and you'd have quite a paper. Matt, you want to tackle that for your next one? No. Okay, that's cool. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I'm done. Oh. Never writing about movies again. I'm going <laughs> to write about movies again. I'm just not going to write about <laughs> Fanny and Alexander. <laughs> I mean, maybe someday. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, well, if I may answer my own question, because I never ask a question without... Well, yes, I do. Uh, it's... Uh, the film of boundless imagination it's of imagination itself i don't think it quite always adheres to that there is a lot of meandering and um i you know i mentioned imagination being a primordial force but if it's not tame it can wander and it can kind of dull itself with malaise so i think it's also a meta commentary on imagination because it's using bergman's Incredible imagination to comment on how imagine how we create things um but ultimately like there the filmmaking on display is uh so very good mm-hmm. um that i i, I just wish i kind of like this movie more than i did and i and i and i do like it i just wanted to like it more because it all the all of these great pieces add up to somehow less than what they all are just just because the way Igmar Bergman chooses to tell the story and yes I do I I am do think it meanders and but yeah I do want to see this again I want to find five and a half hours to watch this whole thing maybe maybe I'm not smart enough maybe I shouldn't watch a movie at five in the morning when just after a baby's woken up uh and then gone back to sleep but I, it's a movie that, you know, it, if it's imperfect to me, it's because I really want to know how it's supposed to be. I, like, I want to see it really completely done. I want to see the full vision of it. Uh, I guess those are my thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, either one. Go, go, go right ahead. I think it should have won Best Picture for the Academy Awards. And it well, makes it wasn't me nominated for it. So It wasn't nominated. <laughs> but I think it should have been nominated. And it also led me to think about, will a foreign movie ever 
really have a chance at winning Best Picture. And I don't mean to answer that right now, but just something to think about because yep. this is an amazing. Yeah, no, that, that is an excellent question. And one, there are certainly a lot of foreign films that have been nominated for Best Picture. Life is Beautiful, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, Amour, uh, for instance. I think as long as there is a Best Foreign Language spot, right. a foreign language movie will never win Best Picture. Because then it has a potential to do both. Uh, and I don't think that will happen. Much like how a animated movie will never will never do it because they they already have the, they already have their own their own category now unless it was Beauty and the Beast back in back in 1991. Uh so no, I can't say it, but this would this does make a very strong case for it, but if it did win best picture, oh my god, would everybody be mad about that cuz it's a it's it's a very divisive film uh ultimately, I think. Um Matt, your thoughts on Penny and I. Hi. Um hi. Sorry. I I think I just wanted to go back to the sort of just overall, but I think Bergman's like ultimate one of the ultimate things he sort of looks at in a lot of his films, or probably you probably someone probably is smart enough to make an argument that it's in every single film he's made, but he likes to sort of theorize, hypothesize a world without God. Um, and I think that this movie shows in a much lighter, more positive way, like what potentially a world without God can look like for someone like Alexander, right? Who sort of, mm-hmm. it sort of comes off in this negative sense, but he almost finds himself like liberated from the idea that like, hey, I don't have to adhere to this, these strict rules. I can just sort of be my own person and think about the things I want to think about. Maybe there's a the danger to that, like we see with this male, but uh, maybe there's sort of a like beautiful freedom to that that we sort of see um, in a lot of the rest of the film, the storytelling aspects, literally the the sort of actors and this family of actors, the fact that the movie ends with a like the uh, the grandmother reading a play that she doesn't want to read, but then she reads it anyways, and Alexander comes over and just sort of like nuzzles up on her lap, and there's this sort of just bookended moment where they're on that couch again. Um, and yeah, to me, like he like he talks about this a lot. Like, and sometimes it's darker and like really weird, like in the Seventh Seal. But here, it's actually sort of like this is kind of nice. Um, and as someone who isn't like super um, religiously minded, I sort of really enjoy that aspect um, of his work in general. And he always like surprises me with it. I'm always like, oh, this is really subversive, you, <laughs> you sexy Swede. Like, how did you get away with this? And I didn't know it. Um, and I, I always like that about film in general. Um, so yeah, absence of God is like a big theme. And then if we're just talking about the film overall, I, I really loved it. I, I, the second it was over, I was like, I need to watch the longer version of this. And I, my other final thought was that I was just so amazed that I was so completely entertained by a movie where like nothing really like traditionally entertaining happens other than like just great screenwriting, great acting, right. great, you know, just film craft in general. I always find that amazing. I'm like, oh my God this movie's over and like, what the hell just happened? Like, um, so yeah, I, I think it definitely deserved to win best foreign film. And I think, you know, you know, barring the sort of argument about foreign language film requirements in the categories, um, it should, it, it's definitely, uh, one of those foreign films that would have been comfortably nominated for best picture. I would agree. Um, if that was a thing or if they could, if it had potential to win, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely, definitely say, well, has been a fascinating discussion uh i kind of kind of want to we got we got one more bergman film to talk about so i imagine this will come right back up when we have to go through uh through a glass darkly mm-hmm. that, uh for our 1961 best foreign language film uh very fascinating discussion thank you thank you both for for 
joining in on this. I I feel like you guys have turned me have turned me around a little bit. I was kind of down on the film, but now uh, you've helped illuminate what Bergman is uh, was going for. And I pre I know I and I I always appreciate your opinions on this. So so thank you. This is uh, you know we try to have civil conversations here and not uh, call each other screwheads too often. Primitive. Hey, you know there we go. Got to get in there. Well, this has been week three of our Christmas themed episodes. Next week we are finally tackling uh, our one last for your consideration. That is of course Frank Capra's. It's a wonderful life. Oh, gotta hey. go out. Gotta go out on the high note, right there. You have been listening to the Oscar Watch podcast. Thank you so much. If you'd like to write in and tell us about your thoughts on Fanny and Alexander, you can write us at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail and be sure to find us on social media: Twitter, Facebook, so uh, Instagram at oscarwatchpod. Matt Marchetti, where can people find you? You could. <laughs> I was going to try to do that really fast, like the microphone. <laughs> I'm too tired for that. Uh, you guys could find me on Instagram uh, at movie underscore matinee with two T's in the matinee part. Uh, I try to do like movie reviews a day. It's actually it's like really hard <laughs> to like write like 350 words. I, so I I always try to like bulk up movies so I've got them going. But it's a little squirrely right now because I've been finishing up my master's thesis, which hopefully will be done in I don't know 17 years or so. I don't. It's done. It's done. It's it's it's, it's essentially done. So I've been trying to do. I said this last week. I've been trying to do sort of like Christmas or Christmas theme movies. Not like every single day of December, but just a bunch of them. So I'm just trying to find like a nice wide range of like stuff that people really know that I just would be fun to review. Um, stuff that like my wife hasn't seen that I love that she'll probably hate. And then obviously like uh, just a of, of Christmas horror films because yeah. there's a lot of them. And I've got, <laughs> and I've got a bunch we haven't seen. So, so All yeah. Right. Cool. Well, definitely you guys should tune in. You should follow, subscribe. He's uh quite good it's a lot of fun he just 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 read his work please and comment definitely comment on it he loves like, your yeah, comments i do he does amy thomason you're on the twits right where's that yes at, at a thomason 11 all right yeah she's got some good she's got some good views on there engage her talk to her she loves talking movies as we all do oh. yeah and until next time We'll continue talking movies, and we will see you all on the red carpet.